I'm Lynn Harder, host of Defining Moments, a podcast produced by WOUB Public Media. Humans are storytellers. We tell stories to make sense of birthing and dying and everything in between. This podcast features stories about health and healing. It grew out of my desire to disrupt the silence that too often surrounds vulnerability. Join me as guests and I explore what it means to live well in the midst of inescapable illness and hardship. I'm honored to be joined today by Dr. Tracy Schaub. Dr. Schaub is a family medicine doctor. She received her degree from the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, where she is now chair of the Department of Family Medicine. She has more than 20 years of experience as a practicing physician who specializes in geriatric care. Among other initiatives, Tracy's worked with Mary Beekler in the development of the award-winning play, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver, a play that's now used to teach about the ethical dilemmas and other end-of-life issues to medical students. She's a national leader in the practice of family-centered care and palliative care. For listeners who might be unfamiliar with palliative care, it's care that's focused on improving the quality of life for people who are experiencing life-threatening illnesses. Palliative care specialists focus on things like pain management. In fact, Tracy was a postdoctoral fellow at the Harvard Medical School Center for Palliative Care. On a personal note, when my mom was diagnosed with stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma about eight years ago, Tracy was the first person I called. I, I vividly remember sitting on my mom's bed in Nebraska and really facing the uncertainty of trying to move a loved one across the U.S. and coordinate her care. Tracy didn't hesitate to help, both as a, a practicing physician and as someone who could connect me to a broader network of care. Tracy, I'm, I'm so excited for listeners to meet you today and join our conversation as we explore how you approach your role as a doctor, really with narrative sensibilities, and how you integrate narrative medicine in the way that you train and learn with future physicians, whether that's at the bedside or in the classroom. So Tracy, thank you for the, the work that you do, the service you provide, and, and thanks for being with us today. Oh, Lynn, thank you so much. What an incredibly warm welcome. Um, you know, this is the work that I absolutely love to do. And um, it's been 20 years and it's still mm. going strong. Mm -hmm. So it morphs in different ways. But um, narrative medicine has been really just such an interesting construct to finally give a language and a shape to something I've been practicing my whole career. Um, mm. I'd say from day one, you know, there's always a story behind the patient mm. that, that mm. comes into your office. And it's not just the diagnosis or what's going on or what their history, what they've, you know, what they've had done, um, especially my work with hospice and palliative care. It's, it's, it's the story of how that's shaped them, how that's changed them, how they're living with illness, how they're living with their suffering and how I can intersect with that and hopefully improve, um, you know, improve their, their experience, um, you know, be able to companion them through this phase of life 
uh, and to uh, let them achieve the goals that they have to open up that conversation and that it's just not just not a diagnosis and perhaps a death sentence. Mm, mm. What a beautiful gift that you offer families to to be in your words a companion in that journey of the end of life. What an incredible gift that is. Mm, I think I learned just as much from them, if not more. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's truly inspiring mm-hmm. to see people deal with uh, just really devastating experiences and turn that into something positive where they have time for um, healing relationships and, uh, and living out the life that they want to live. I want to pick up on a term that you used, and let's carry that thread out. You talked about narrative medicine, and I think that's a concept that most of our listeners are not familiar with. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what that means to you? Sure. Um, Rita Sharon is the physician that uh, really started this whole concept of of putting this into practice. And she's been writing about this for probably 20 years. But she talks about um, attention, representation, and affiliation. And attention is interesting because, you know, where the clinician really needs to absorb not only what the patient is saying, but also what they're not saying, reading those nonverbal cues, reading um, the body language in helping to assimilate into making a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about, I drive the medical students crazy when they, when they rotate <laughs> with me because, you know, I don't follow a traditional history and physical, you know, and, and it makes them a little nuts when they're trying to check off their boxes. But, but, you know, I'm asking more about the details of like, you know, what does this mean to you? And, and how do you explore that and get, get this out? Um, and so it, when we apply this and we use this to teach medical students, we do this through, you know, what we call close reading, really reading closely in the, in the, in the text, um, radical listening and bearing witness. And these are terms that, um, um, that are typically used in in the classics of narrative medicine, and then and then we have to have to represent that. So uh, Rita says that narrative writing in clinical settings makes audible and visible that which others would otherwise would pass without notice. Mm. And so you know whether that's in our charting um, and. It, in today's EMR, the electronic medical record, we don't get to do as much free text. And I think that's really where the meat of what's going on with our patients lies. And so, you know, we do quick free writing in, in, with prompts um, to do this. And we'll talk more about that later, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, she talks about the reader of an illness narrative is, you know, is summoned by the author to join with a teller, hmm. you know, to form a community that can combat the isolation of illness. And, you know, reading back through some of her articles, it's really fascinating um, about this concept of isolation and that the doctor's isolated, the patient's isolated, and and only by putting together those narratives can we, can we join together. And then, you know, this results in affiliation uh, is the term she uses, but this authentic communication and connection between uh, a caregiver and their patient, whether it's a physician, whether it's a nurse, uh, 
between the healthcare team members, but also this authentic connection with self, Mm. you know, looking Mm. inward and seeing what's truly in there that because we all have stories. So we all approach things, we can't separate that out. Um, So we all approach a situation with our own baggage, so to so to speak, our own biases, uh, our own lived experience, which uh, colors how we interpret what we're finding. So, um, mm-hmm. so narrative mm-hmm. medicine really focuses on our capacity to join one another. Um, and uh, so, uh, Rita talks about you know bearing the burdens of our clinical powerlessness or simply together bravely contemplating our mortal limits on earth. Mm. And I see that a lot in palliative care where we, you know, we don't have cures and actually most of medicine today, we don't cure much. Uh, we, we manage things, but, mm. but we don't cure a lot of things. And so it's really about, about that story of how do we, how do we bear this together? you know, because we're not alone. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I want to know my patient as an individual, not as a diagnosis. They're not just, you know, Mrs. Jones in, in bed B uh, <laughs> with diabetes or congestive yeah. heart failure. But, you know, she's got a dog at home that's waiting for her. She's got kids, grandkids, you know, so um, it's yeah. so complex. So I don't know, does that give you a... Yeah, it really does. So what I'm led to kind of think out loud with you about is, mm-hmm. right, what you've said is that storytelling has always been a part of of how you cared for others, mm-hmm. but narrative medicine has given you a language with which to talk about that, right? And I suspect most practicing physicians, when they step back and think about it, could acknowledge the interpretive craft, the interpretive nature of of what it is they do with another human being, whether that's in a clinical exam room or the bedside in a hospital. Why is the explicit acknowledgement of that, the explicit turn towards narrative medicine so important right now? It's always been a part of it, but why why are we called to really practice this yeah. now? I, I think it's crucial when we see the amount of burnout that we're seeing in our healthcare providers, you know, the rate of suicide, the rate of anxiety, depression that the caregivers are experiencing. Uh, I, I truly believe it's because of this disconnect that we're so caught up uh, with the electronic medical record. We're stuck in front of the computer as opposed to actually relating to the patient, um, checking boxes as opposed to, you know, I, I honestly liked um, handwriting my medical records because I got to really, you know, assimilate everything that I had heard. Um, so I, I think it's crucial right now. We're just pushed with productivity and everybody's short on time. And I think we lose sight uh, of what's most important in our lives. And um, and so this is a way to really kind of step back and bring what's most important, the humanness, the empathy, the connection, um, bringing that back into into our work, uh, I think is one of the antidotes to the burnout and stress that we're seeing every day in this world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I so admire about your work is 
that you're starting to integrate this way of joining with another who suffers, right? You're, you're starting to integrate this practice of care in the way that you teach future physicians in medical mm-hmm. schools. So one of the articles that we're talking about today that was published in Health Communication, you co-authored with several colleagues, mm-hmm. and it's about an initiative called the Open Book Project. Your essay kind of describes the Open Book Project as as narrative medicine that involves first-year students on the three different campuses of Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. What led you and your colleagues to develop the Open Book Project? Mm. This is such an interesting story. So uh, Dr. Sharon Casapola attended uh, one of the narrative medicine conferences at Columbia University and came back and was just so inspired by this. She's like, we need to do something like this. And um, so we began to brainstorm and find like-minded people that had might be open to, and interested in this. And we were able to secure funding from the dean and uh, took eight faculty, staff, and two students to Columbia for a workshop in 2017, a basic narrative medicine workshop, but it was focusing on race and mm-hmm. diversity, and um, which was something we were also kind of tackling as a college, uh, you know, how to, how to really deal with some of the, the issues that are out there. So um, we had you know, people from the Office of Inclusion and Diversity. We had, uh, you mentioned Mary Beekler before from the School of Fine Arts. Um, we had several faculty within the within the medical school. And we went and were sponges. We absorbed so much at this conference. And it was just, it was unbelievable the way they had this set up. They had, you know, regular lectures, but then they had these small groups where we um, practiced narrative medicine in this close reading and um, radical listening. And then Mm. we wrote and then we shared with each other. And, you know, this writing, everybody feels vulnerable in this. You don't know anybody in your group. And yet within this three-day weekend, we formed bonds that were incredibly close. People were incredibly vulnerable, opening up their lives. And um, it was just... It was amazing. So we came back from this, wrote up our reflections on it, and immediately decided that we needed to apply this uh, at the medical school. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that was spring of 2017. So we did a book study of the principles uh, of narrative medicine over the summer, which I must admit uh, was far deeper than I could ever imagine. <laughs> um, I, I am, I'm a clinician, I'm an educator, but boy, oh boy, I'm not a PhD. Uh, and so, you know, with all of us struggling through these chapters together, being vulnerable together, going, I have no idea what they just said in this, but but I, this is what I got out of it. Um, and really hearing everybody's different perspectives. It was fascinating. Um, and, you know, we really grew as a group and then decided to apply this. So we started uh, coming up with things that um, inspired us to ask deeper questions. And so we talk about it. The interesting thing with this project is they use something 
um, called an artifact or what I would call a third thing. So instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, one-on-one discussing some issue related to race um, and violence, we would use a piece of music, a reading, a play, something something different, something that wasn't personal to us initially. Mm. Um, and that made it safe for everyone to approach this this artifact from their own perspective, with their own story. And then um, we were given a prompt to write about this. And then, um, you know, so so we all came at it from a different angle. So so we were inspired to really kind of collect different things that that really moved us and um, and then figure out what would be an opening prompt, you know. And so we met weekly. And I, I think that was the other magic of this was that how often do we as um, teachers and educators really get to sit down and work with colleagues on a weekly basis and say, hey, let's read this. What, what do you think? What would be the most provoking prompt out of here that would be safe for the students? And so, so the process in and of itself of building this curriculum was, um, it, it was truly enjoyable and uh, something that was incredibly powerful as well. Um, and then we did an open session to introduce this concept to the students. And mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. you know, this was completely elective. This was on their own time. You know, we ideally wanted to have 90 minutes to two hours, but we only had an hour over lunchtime. Um, But we had groups of six to eight students in each one, because more than that gets really kind of unwieldy and people don't have, especially in in an hour time, Mm -hmm. people don't have time to really reflect and and do the work in there. So, uh, but we had five different groups across the three campuses and we piloted this and started in the fall of 2017. So we thought, okay, let's just put this application to work and then we'll you know we'll continually debrief so so we would meet with the students every other week and in between we would um, meet together as faculty and um, figure out the next week's lesson and and put the fine tuning on it and uh, it was it was really beautiful mm-hmm. it was really a beautiful process mm-hmm. um, so, you know, our hopes and our objectives out of this project were to, you know, cult- not only cultivate kind of these narrative competencies for patient care, um, but also to develop and practice narrative skills. So those close reading, the radical listening, reflective writing, and and then apply this narrative framework to complex issues of social justice inequities and disparities. We chose to focus our topics on on this area. Uh, and then also identify narrative approaches to enhance our personal, professional, and clinical relationships. So, so whatever artifact we used, you know, we had the reflection, we, we reviewed the writings. Um, at the end, we always tied this back to the patient. Like, okay, how are you going to apply this in, your, in the clinical setting? In listening to you, Tracy, it strikes me that the narrative artifact, what what you described as the third thing mm-hmm. in the room, which is beautiful, it seems like that is key in transporting right, all of the participants to a setting, to a, a set of characters that they can all start to identify with and talk about and 
I suspect then kind of also connect back to their own lived stories and stories going on in their culture. But it starts with that narrative artifact. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes it safe. Mm. It's easier than jumping right in and telling your story. And I had one student tell me once, they're like, I had no idea that this was going to come out you know, in their Mm. writing, because Mm -hmm. they're given this prompt, and then they're told to write for five minutes, no editing, no polishing, you know, pen to paper, don't even pick up your pen, just what, whatever comes out of your subconscious. And, you know, those of us that that do some writing are very critical of our own work. And so we would never turn anything in if we're, you know, based on these prompts. If, <laughs> if we gave them the prompt and said, come back in two weeks and let's talk about it. No, that's not going to happen. So, um, so that was really the beauty of like, they had oftentimes, and myself included, we had no idea what was going to come out um, from these different prompts. And, uh, we did, I, I remember there was a, a session on passing and we used um, a story from 1929 and then also a, um, uh, oh, I think it was, it was a modern day YouTube video. Uh, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it was really interesting where people came from, but the one student commented, she's like, you know, this story was burning to come out. And this is what unlocked it and allowed me to to really get this out. And now I can start dealing with this this issue uh, that she had been dealing with a long time. And it just really buried in her subconscious, but um, felt it was a real critical turning point for her. Mm-hmm. You know, had nothing to do with the poem or they. Um, it was a slam poetry piece. That's mm-hmm. what it was. But we mm-hmm. had a YouTube video of it. You know, it had nothing specifically to do with it, but that was the initial trigger that helped unlock some of those deeper deeper issues that they were they were working with. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the so what of this, right? Mm. The Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education mm-hmm. identifies several competencies that physicians need to demonstrate in core areas like patient care, medical knowledge, practice-based learning, communication. Can you talk to us about how experiences with the Open Book Project are particularly well-suited to really helping students reach these milestones, that that this is pedagogically smart. It is. It is. And and some of the, you know, the, the medical knowledge is easy to test. And it's easy to teach, um, it be, you know, knowing some of the practice-based learning. But the communication, the professionalism skills um, are really are really sometimes some of the softer skills that aren't um, conducive to a lecture or to a small group format. Uh, And so, you know, having students really acknowledge the psychosocial implications of healthcare, because that, you know, seems to be, um, seems to be the softer stuff in med school in the first couple of years, because it's not necessarily on their certifying boards. Um, But, but it's crucial, and it's really integral into good patient care. So really exposing them to that, talking about, you know, patient autonomy, why someone who, you may set up a, a treatment regimen, but they may not be able to follow it for many different reasons. And being able to explore that and have that 
at least that thought in the back of their mind that they really need to, you know, connect with the patient, meet them where they're at and see where they're, they're at. Recognizing inequities in our healthcare delivery, you know, making sure that, um, that, that those that, that don't have access, uh, to care to that, you know, being mindful of that people that live in food deserts. So, so these are some of the softer, um, things, but they're so critically important. Mm. Um, and just creating that non-judgmental environment for patients to feel safe, to really open up about what's most important to them. So, so I think um, this really lean, leads to, you know, developing those skills in communication and professionalism and understanding um, where systems kind of fail our some of our population at times and finding other resources for them. So, so mm -hmm. I think it dovetails really nicely uh, with, with what's going on today. And, you know, with medical, you know, the, the amount of information, things change so rapidly. Um, you know, I feel that, that these are even more crucial skills to learn now than the latest medication uh, for diabetes, because that's going to change, you know, and we need to create lifelong learners so that they can continually adapt to what's going on. But those core patient relational skills um, are, are paramount, and they, they go a long way in practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How have students responded to the open book curriculum? Oh, gosh, um, it's been it's been really impressive. So at the, um, we were trying to monitor, you know, trying to measure this as we went along with kind of weekly uh, online surveys about this. And they felt that, you know, they had a deeper understanding of issues of social justice and inclusion, you know, how to improve uh, patient care. They felt the, the narrative medicine uh, skills were very valuable, um, learning more about how their peers viewed the world. They love the non-judgmental, respectful, and inclusive environment that we created. Mm, um, I mm. think that was really key. One of the, mm -hmm. we had them at the end of the first year, um, if they chose to write postcards to either a future student that would potentially take this um take the time to to commit to this series of uh, of classes or to a curriculum director and i have one here um from one of the students that says what you make of this is up to you this is an environment in which you are safe you can be vulnerable which is not something you will feel is okay as a medical student use your time here to get to know yourself and others Practice being vulnerable. It will make you feel more connected to humanity and your future patients will doubtlessly benefit from that. Um, mm, mm. Amen. You know, <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, and many this year, because uh, we're in our second year of this now, have commented on um, their mental health and how this has improved their mental health, that they were not in a good space and that uh, with the stress of medical school, and everything else going on, that this was their one safe place. We had had one student who said, you know, nowhere in this building is comforting except in this room, you know, because we <laughs> just felt really constantly under pressure to uh, to learn and, and to just have so much going on. Um, and he was like, you know, when I come to this place, this is this is where I'm at home. This is where it's at. So, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've been amazed at the commitment of these students because we asked them to 
um, to commit to the full year, you know, of um, 10 sessions so that there's continuity from week to week. It's, it's harder uh, to create that close group dynamic uh, when people are dropping in and out. And from my experience, I had almost 100% participation this year from our first years. And even when um, our every other week session hit on an exam week, I'm like, do you guys want to reschedule? They're like, no, we need this. We need this. So um, it was interesting to see the commitment uh, and just just really encouraging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's clear from listening to you and and from reading your essay and really bearing witness to the stories of participants that are shared in that essay that this has been a transformative experience for participants and facilitators shared in the experience alongside students mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so tracy how did how did this experience transform you Wow. I, you know, I'm constantly humbled uh, by the depth and the openness of our students. And, and you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the facilitators participating is particip- you know, actually participating, doing the writing, exposing themselves, being vulnerable was key in making this a safe place. Um, for me, it was reassuring. Um, like I said, it put voice to what I had always believed in and gave me a bit more of structure. Um, mm, and it's mm-hmm. encouraged me to go deeper in different ways. I think I've been exposed to uh, more diversity and uh, some of the racial issues and the topics that we covered. You know, I don't think I, I personally, I probably lived in a bubble. You know, I haven't experienced some of the hardships uh, that someone who is biracial may experience. And so just hearing the insights has deeply moved and changed me. Mm. Um, it's helped me to, to ask deeper questions uh, with, my, with my patients, uh, with my fellow students, um, my fellow colleagues, to really just be able to, to say, hey, you know, you look stressed. What's going on? Let's take a minute and uh, be open and, and really explore that because I think there's incredible amount of suffering in this world, and um, if we're able to to help others open up, to open up ourselves, um, it, it's it's really transformative. I know I had a I had a personal trauma. Um, one of my first years in practice uh, where I was attacked by a dog and, you know, and it, and interestingly, I've told that story numerous times. And yet this year in one of the second year groups and one of the prompts, some of the, you know, spontaneous writing that came out, it was amazing. Some things that really got unlocked and was like, wow, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't gone there and I need to. So, so I think personally, it's just really unlocked some areas that, uh, that we need to, we need to look at. And I, I feel like I'm open to that, but honestly, the busyness of life 
rushes by and, and we don't take the time to do that close reading and that reflective writing um, and to be heard by others. I think, I think that's the other key point of this is not only are we, we writing, uh, but then we read it aloud to, to each other if we feel comfortable doing it. And mm-hmm. so um, mm-hmm. it is a matter of exposure uh, in a safe environment, but, but it also is, is really um, just incredibly powerful to hear the narratives come out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It strikes me that the open book project really represents medical education that's it's worthy of who we are and it's worthy mm-hmm. of who we can become mm-hmm. and i'm i just want to commend the the leadership of the osteopathic college for supporting this initiative i think that OUHCOM is at the front lines along with other programs like columbia university mm-hmm. in integrating this in in our curriculum and I think students and faculty alike benefit. As we wrap up our conversation, I I want to share a passage from the co-authored essay that's at the heart of this podcast today that's published in Health Communication. And it was an an excerpt from a postcard that you mentioned earlier <laughs> that you invited um, participants to share. And this postcard was directed to a curriculum director. Mm. You are not creating the next generation of statistic reciters, nor diagnostic computers, nor pill dispensers. You are helping to create a force of love in action. People who listen deeply first and never assume. We will be educated on biochem and the various layers of tissue, but the worth of that will be lost if we can't see. Please do your part in ensuring future doctors are equipped to heal and care for patients fully. Signed, Future Healer. Hmm. Wonderful. Right? Um, That is the sort of healthcare provider I would want for my mom. I would want for my daughter. (laughs) I want for me. Yes. We're going to be we're going to be consumers of this <laughs> at some point too. Yes, we are. So, Tracy, thank you for kind of the work that you do, the the modeling that you offer. Um, it it really is a a gift to the universe and um, I'm grateful for your presence. Oh, thank you, Lynn. I I truly admire the work you do as well and you know, there's so many strong, amazing people behind this initiative. Um, I'm I'm only a small cog in the wheel, but it's really it's really wonderful to be able to work together with a, with an amazing team of colleagues, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. including you. So thank mm-hmm. you. You you bet. For those of you who are joining us today, I've been talking with Dr. Tracy Schaub. We've been talking about storytelling and its role in the practice of medicine and in in training future physicians. Defining Moments is produced by WOUB Public Media and the Barbara Geralds Institute for Storytelling and Social Impact. Adam Rich is our co-producer. You can subscribe to Defining Moments at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the NPR podcast directory. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at DM Podcast WOUB. 
On our Facebook page, I'll provide a link to the article we've been discussing today that's published in Health Communication. And remember, Taylor and Francis is making all of these articles freely accessible to the public. Again, that will be on our Facebook page at DM Podcast WOUB. Go in peace and, and love one another. Mm-hmm.